Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Next Level. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. Of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. everybody comes to see Greg and once again Greg has procured another good guest. It's always fun to talk to people outside of the room, outside of the North Carolina bubble um, where we talk about North Carolina football, ACC football and Greg, the guy joining us today hosts one of my favorite podcasts. In fact, the, in fact the only podcast I really listen to consistently outside of our stuff and I don't really listen to our stuff anymore since I'm always on it. But, Greg, tell us who we've got here. Well, I think everybody watching this show probably knows who Chip Patterson is. Uh, Chip's been with CBS for what now, Chip? 12, 13, 13 years? Yeah, 13 years. Yeah. Uh, local guy. So when we talk about kind of the national audience, uh, Chip brings a local flair to it. And that that's invaluable for uh, any of the ACC fans, especially the tr- Tobacco Road and, and all that, because he has that, that knowledge. So. Um, as you mentioned, Tommy, Cover 3, if you're not listening to the Cover 3 podcast, you're missing out. I mean, it's just a, a fantastic listen. Um, that's one of the, the first shows that I pull up uh, whenever I'm, I'm in the car trying to fill some time and, and get updated on where things stand with college football. So, Chip, thanks for joining us. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I've known Greg for as long as I've been working at CBS and like Greg, I always appreciated the the friendship as we were at all the events and, and covering everything together as I've, I've found my footing. Um, and so this is uh, you call I'm answering. Yeah. Like that, that's a, that's a standing uh, procedure for me. And yeah, it's uh this is a really fun time to be looking at the North Carolina football program uh, considering what you thought looking at the first four games and everyone had their own, you know, what, what's it going to be after four games, but to be four and O really opens up the, where does this end conversation? And that's, that's a fun place to, it's, it's much better than two and two with a couple of disappointing losses, at least in terms of the tone and tenor uh, of everybody who's out there supporting the Tar Heels. Yeah, for sure. And Chip, let's start with Carolina. Um, before the season started, I had Carolina at three and one at this point in the season. I really thought the Minnesota and Pittsburgh games were both toss-ups. And a large part of that is I thought Ethan Kaliak Manis would be serviceable as a quarterback for the Gophers. Uh, he has been anything but. And then I really thought um, that Jerkovic would would be a little bit better than what he, he's been. I know he looked good early against Carolina last week before getting knocked out. Uh, but but Pitt and Minnesota, while they have good defenses, they don't have much on offense. So here Carolina is at 4-0. Kind of where did you think the obstacles were maybe in the first month of the season for Carolina, and and how do you think they've persevered thus far? Yeah, the um, the echoes of that Notre Dame loss last season where Notre Dame came into Keenan Stadium and just bullied North Carolina up and down the field, that when you look at uh, programs like Pitt and Minnesota, and Greg, I was right there with you. I had not identified which game it was going to be, but I was sitting on a three and one uh, expectation or projection through the first four games of the season. I don't think North Carolina has played its best football game yet, at least not in terms of being complete four quarters, offense, defense, everything working out. But man, the way that 
this North Carolina team has answered some challenges along the way has got to be encouraging. Like, for example, Pitt did a really good job of bottling up Amarion Hampton in the run game. Where, you know, like Pitt was saying like, okay, we're going to do our classic Pat Narduzzi thing and we're going to make you beat us with tough throws. And sure enough, your generational talent quarterback stepped up and made some tough throws, diagnosed where the ball needed to go. And that's, you know, something that you know leads you to say, okay, well, well, Drake hasn't done that in all four of the games. And then you've got, you know, the Marion Hampton performance against App State. Some of it's taken what they give you, but then the run game isn't there for Pitt. And so you're looking at a scenario where, yeah, I thought that defensively they were going to get pushed around by Minnesota and Pitt. I think that there are going to be challenges for this defense, even moving forward that are not just stylistic, but when we take a huge jump up in competition and like a, a good way to take the temperature of this North Carolina defense which again, I think has checked a lot of boxes so far is when we've got Miami coming up because man, Mario Cristobal has, has built up a monster in the trenches on both sides of the ball, but particularly the offensive line. You know, they go get Matt Lee from UCF, uh, JV on Cohen from Alabama. You know, you're already, are seeing some of those five-star freshmen in the rotation. You know, that's where I think you've got the stylistic approach of a Minnesota or pit, but the caliber and the level of execution. So, you know, I, I think that you are um, encouraged somewhat by the fact that this North Carolina defense has not cost the Tar Heels any ball games, but there are tougher challenges to come. And offensively, uh, I think, again, it just has not, we have not seen a complete effort of the very best football that North Carolina has, which going into the off week as a coaching staff, you kind of love, right? I mean, don't they don't they love being able to have all these things to coach up, all these things to show with the clicker and the cut ups about ways that they can get better uh, to be four and zero and have all those coachable opportunities is uh, is probably something that Mac Brown and the staff are, are very encouraged by. You certainly nailed it there, Chip. And that's exactly what I was thinking. And one guy that everybody has sort of watched and wondered what's going on. I mean, even Mac Brown mentioned him in one of the press conferences. What's wrong with Drake? And I counter and say, nothing's wrong with Drake. He is being Drake May. I mean, he can still do the Drake May left-handed throw things, but he's managed the game. You said diagnose where to get the ball. From a national perspective, and, and you guys on y'all show talk more nationally than we do, of course, and outside of our bubble, what is the Drake May talk like on that scale? When you When you talk to Danny, when you talk to Bud or Tom and all them, you know, last year he was brand new. He was a, you know, the shiny new nickel, as I like to say. This year he's a known commodity, but he hasn't put up the ridiculous numbers except when he had to. Your take on May and how he's progressed as a quarterback. Well, we, we've got the situation where are you a prospect or are you a player? Are we rewarding you for your production here in college, or are we constantly thinking about you in terms of what the NFL and what the NFL draft looks like? Because when we're talking about Drake May, we are still talking about a player who is widely assumed to be the first quarterback taken after Caleb Williams in the upcoming NFL draft. And nothing, I mean, I'm not going to say nothing that happens on the field is going to change that, but Right now, you're you're not shaken by that belief, especially when you know, like the pit game, uh, you you see him be able to step up and and really help that North Carolina team, uh, not just sort of slump back to where Pitt was, because that's what you're worried about is that the bad game is going to happen on the road against a team like Pitt, and and it all kind of starts fall, falling apart. That did not happen at all, you know. Obviously, thanks to JJ Jones as well for uh, for helping get them through through that spot. 
But when you're looking at what you've done this season, you know, he's not a top five quarterback in the country. And, you know, he is probably not a top 10 quarterback in the country. And that's not just statistics, but even to throw it in a power ranking world, you're, there's no way based on everything that we've seen this season, not just from a player like Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or Bo Nix, uh, Cam Ward. I haven't even left the Pac-12 yet. You know, like you just have so many players that have been electric at the quarterback position. And and Drake May, I, I'm kind of with you here. I, I don't have any concerns. I don't think anything's wrong with Drake May. You know, his number one goal, according to Drake May, is to get back to the ACC championship game. His number one job is is winning football. You know, we debate quarterback wins all over the place, but that's something that, that appears to be very internal uh, with Drake May. And so I'm sure that he doesn't look at the fact that he's not keeping pace with Michael Penix. He doesn't look that as a, as a failure because the North Carolina Tar Heels are 4-0. So we look at Drake May as something that you always have to take into consideration when looking at North Carolina and when you are power rating North Carolina and when you are making your picks on the Cover 3 Locks pod, he is the most important factor in almost every single game that you have to consider when breaking down a matchup. So I, 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 my needle has not moved on Drake May. And while individual accolades might not be there, there's still a lot of room for him to be able to make that up. But five touchdowns, four interceptions is not going to have anybody throwing them on a midseason list to uh, to win any individual awards. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that the people have kind of overlooked is that um, some of the other guys that you've mentioned kind of have to be all of that just because right. they may not have you know, great defenses. Not that Carolina's defense is great, but I do think people – kind of overlook the fact when they're talking about, hey, well, look at Drake's numbers last year and how he catapulted into Heisman consideration. He had 350 yards and four touchdowns at App State. Why? 63 points. Yeah, the defense gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter. Right. Like, he had to. He didn't have a choice. Um, And with the defense being more functional this year, uh, he doesn't have to be fantastic. When you're beating South Carolina by two touchdowns and beating Minnesota by 18 and Pitt by 17 – you, you actually are in control of the game, and therefore you can run the ball more. You can be safer with your passing game. And that's maybe why his passing numbers aren't as explosive as they were last year. But I wanted to talk to you about the defense because last year was such a weird year in terms of covering North Carolina uh, defensively. There were so many bad offenses in the ACC last year that it was hard to get an accurate gauge if you just looked at box scores. Mm-hmm. And it really took diving into the advanced metrics to realize that, wait a minute, this defense is really bad. The, the, the great example was you know, Carolina allowed Virginia to score 28 points. Yeah. And Mac Brown said, well, 28 points is not bad. Well, Virginia allowed 14 points to FBS opponents last year. Uh, that's horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, they, they were all in the coastal too, right? I mean, you just, yeah, it's like Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech, even – you know, even though they finished four and four, the offense wasn't anything that was fantastic. I mean, it was like that whole half of the the division, they were bad teams also with bad offense. It's something that North Carolina and Duke both took advantage of to the tune of being able to win a lot of ball games. But, you know, Duke's defense, you know, looked a little bit better than North Carolina's defense did last year against that against a similar schedule. Correct. And so we fast forward to this year and Duke's a good example. Duke's defense looks really good. I know their schedule hasn't been as tough outside of the Clemson game. But Carolina's defense looks functional. It looks maybe fringe top 50, 
which where it has been the last couple of years is a dramatic improvement. What have you seen out of that side of the ball for the Tar Heels that gives you maybe some some hope and optimism that it can be complementary to Drake May and not just an albatross? When you get those big um, national signing day wins, you know, especially for the the, the higher rated in state guys and you're on inside Carolina and you're fired up and you're, you're like hitting refresh. You want it to be there right away. And for a lot of these guys, it, it hasn't been there. And I look at this North Carolina defense and I watch the playmaking, especially up in the defensive front. And you're like, Oh yeah, that was an important signing day win three years ago. You know? Oh yeah. That was an important signing day win a couple years ago. And it's just taken probably some physical maturity, probably some mental maturity. I've heard a lot of conversation from the players about what is it, the mindset that has switched in the offseason, you know, the way that they want to approach it. Some of it's probably just, you know, year two of Gene Chizik leading this uh, unit, them having a better understanding of, of what they're trying to accomplish, the bigger picture stuff. It just... You know, I'm not going to say like, uh, I hesitate to use pups because I don't want you to think that I'm going full NC State here, but it's like the young pups have grown up, right? You know, like they have, they have finally started to mature and finally started to reach some of that potential that you were hoping for when Mac Brown was able to land those national signing day wins. You know, it was a complaint or a criticism that all of this talent was coming in on the defensive side of the ball and on the defensive line and you weren't seeing anything pay off on Saturdays what I see in the jump starts up front and you know, they had some good transfer portal pickups on defense as well that I think have played a big role, but that's the thing that um, probably in, that's my biggest indicator of why the performance has been better is that you've just gotten older and a little bit better because some of the players are the same, but they're not making the same mistakes and they're, they're much more consistent. Talking with Chip Patterson, Cover 3 Podcast, CBS Sports. Chip, I want to turn it to sort of the ACC narrative. Uh, six teams are 4-0, and and like we've said already, you can debate strength of schedule across the country this this time of year, but right. but the fact of the matter is six teams are 4-0. and What's the ACC narrative from your standpoint right now? I would say that for the ACC – the the narrative nationally is that you are not running with the SEC or the Big Ten and that you are probably a step behind the Pac-12 just because of the strength that that conference has right there up top. But that what about the Big 12 is looking really special right now, right? You know, the, I understand that Texas is, is a college football playoff, you know, national championship kind of contender, but this is not a, a, a conference in the Big 12 that is not without its flaws. The bottom of that conference, you know, it looks about like the bottom of the ACC. You understand that as these teams start to play each other, you're going to be, um, you know, watching some losses come between your, your Miami, your North Carolina, you know, some of these teams that all have to play each other. But right now, you at least have a handful of teams that you can look at and that you can trust are going to go out and play competent football. The problem is, I think that Pitt obviously has not lived up to expectations. I think that NC State is not and has not lived up to preseason expectations. I think Syracuse is probably going to come back down to earth once now that they're not going to be playing Western Michigan and Colgate. And the bottom is still really bad. 
you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Boston College. And while Georgia Tech kind of has something cooking with Haynes King right now, I think that the bottom of the ACC is probably pulling down the overall perception uh, in a way that's kind of hurting it when you're splitting splitting hairs between these conferences. I do think it's an, an odd dynamic in terms of, you know, when you look at a, a team like Clemson, um, yeah, they technically got blown out against Duke, but if you actually watch that game, it should have been a whole heck of a lot closer, and Clemson sure. may have should have won that game. Um, and people say, "Well, they lost at Duke. Duke's always horrible." Well, not under Mike Elko. Like they were, they were good last year, uh, and they're really good this year. They've got a great quarterback. So I think Clemson kind of stumbling out of the gate has really hurt, and they should have won the game last week against Florida State. I know, um, mm. but I do yeah. think the. Oh, go, go ahead. I was just say Phil Moffa just ripped off a 61 yard rung. I don't know. I don't know if he was tired, but he should have picked up Kalen Deloach on that blitz pickup right there. If that happens, Clemson wins that football game. And you know what's weird about the national narrative? Then probably the ACC stock is hurt even more, right? Like if it right. without having Florida State, you know, out there in front, then it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really difficult to be able to you know stake your claim to the to the big time national picture. But I. Like I am an ACC apologist, a hundred percent. It's like the conference that I grew up, uh, that I grew up living in. Um, and also once I first got started at CBS, like we had conference beats for a while. ACC was my beat in those lean years, you know, like when the ACC was what two and 13 in BCS games. Right. I mean, that's like the reputation was because they were falling flat on their face in the non-conference games this year, the ACC showed out, especially in the important ones. Ignore whatever Virginia Tech did. In the important ones, the <laughs> ACC was able to show out in a really big way. So I I think that when you've got those top four or five teams, they are all legitimate. Uh, Notre Dame just lost a heartbreaker to Ohio State, which might be the best team in the country, and they are only a five-and-a-half-point favorite at Duke. Like That tells you how close even the you know, third, fourth, or fifth best team in, in the ACC is to the very best teams, the playoff contenders in the country. Yeah, Chip, I'm an ACC apologist as well. Grew up in NC State territory down in Gastonia, being a textile town, uh, but have lived up in this area for, for most of my life. And one of the things that has driven me crazy is the, and I kind of get it, but the inability of the ACC media to kind of rally the cause. Um, mm -hmm. And where I'm going with that is, I think it should be celebrated more than has been celebrated, that the ACC has six teams that are 4-0, it's only the second time in Power 5 history that that's happened. The first time that happened was back in 2012 with the SEC, and we heard about it loud and clear from everybody in SEC country about how dominant that league was. Now, granted, they won the national championship that year, and they had five teams finish in the top 10. So they deserved it. I'm not saying the ACC is going to do that this year. However, the SEC-SEC chance – that happen all over the country, that has an impact. And that's one of the reasons the SEC is the financial powerhouse it is now. And the ACC, for whatever reason, uh, has just not, never really been there. And so that's that's a whole different conversation, but that, that kind of gets well, under my I mean, skin. look, it's small schools. Like, it, it's just, it's fundamentally, the ACC has more tiny schools than the other conferences 
that are at the very top of college sports. When you've got small schools, it means that you've got smaller alumni bases and less people that are out here yelling because the SEC and the Big Ten have big state schools that pump out a ton of alumni. And whether it's fundraising, whether it's resources, or whether it's how many people are yelling about you online, like you just have more human beings that are out there with a passion and a connection to that school. Also, there's something that I've always diagnosed as um, maybe a little higher brow and not in a bad way, but like, why would you want to root for your rival? Right? Like when I hear a Florida fan say that they're rooting for Georgia in the national championship game, come on now. I mean, what <laughs> is rivalries just all of a sudden going to go by the wayside so you can get your sec chant out here. I think that, you know, the, you, you mentioned growing up in Gastonia. I mean, that's, that's like, hate watching, right? Like state fans hate watch North Carolina, hope that they lose North Carolina, hate watch a state, hopes that they lose. And and maybe there's some kind-hearted spirits out there, but you know, you you don't want to see your rival getting something to be chesty about. And that's the thing that's like awesome about rivalries is that you're going to work and the the person down the hallway went to one school, you went to the rival. Like you go to church and you know, the person who sits in front in the pew in front of you, they went to the other school. And, and you want to be able to have that no, we're not slapping each other on the back. No, this ACC doesn't rally for each other in a way that I actually find endearing. You know that because – What's your take, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, you know where I grew up and, and still am. And, you know, if you pull for one school, uh, you might get junk in your yard because of it, you know, when they play each other. And that's the thing. I did notice it in Charlotte when Carolina played South Carolina – you know, the ACC-SEC chant sort of flipped before and after that game. But as far as you're right, Chip, on a national scale, the ACC is sort of that two-edged sword. They don't rally for each other, but it's kind of neat as well. It's, yeah, it's, it's something that I think is closer to college. Like the great things about college sports are about that proximity, that rivalry, and the bitterness that you've got for uh, everybody that's in your life. Yeah, it's like Friday night. Um, and we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Friday night, North Carolina State plays Louisville. North Carolina fans need Louisville to lose some football games. That's a good one for North Carolina fans to get on board with Louisville losing. But to do that, you have to want that team in West Raleigh to win, and it's tough for people to do. <laughs> and, and it, and, you know, it's like that all the way across everything. It, That's right. Especially these days when you don't play everybody. Um, you, you've lost some of the rival stuff, so you need help from your your not friends, your unfriends, and, and uh, that's what's always made the ACC cool. Chip, let me ask you: as far as you mentioned, sort of the Florida State effect, the Clemson effect over the last few years, what do you think about expansion? What do you think about Clemson piping up, saying they're they're leaving the ACC sooner than later, and people talking like that? I mean. What's the Cover 3 podcast think of all this noise that we constantly hear? Um, you know, if if Texas says they're going, they gone. Well, right. it's a little bit different in the ACC. What do you think about all that? So the deep dive on Texas and Oklahoma's exit and the details, I think it was at Sports Business Journal. Greg, do you know what I'm talking about? Where it was talk about how the, the networks end up writing checks that are not necessarily considered media rights payouts 
that then allow a school to be able to make good. So for example, we know about the grant of rights. The grant of rights says, you know, you're going to have to give all your media rights money back to the ACC through the end of the grant of rights. But if there is a media rights partner that has invested enough in you leaving the ACC, there are ways that you can funnel money from the media rights partner to the school without it necessarily being media rights. If there is a, um, you know, if there's a media rights holder for a certain conference up in the Midwest that is interested in Clemson Tigers, Florida State, you know, getting down in the Southeast, maybe North Carolina as well, then they could find a way to be able to create revenue for those schools while not having um, them at a total loss where the school has to foot the entire half a billion dollar bill of getting out of the ACC. And when I saw that creative accounting, in the Texas and Oklahoma exit from the Big 12 and the way that um, ESPN was was able to make it all work for the Big 12, but also for Texas and Oklahoma, it opened my eyes that it's not that you can break the grant of rights, it's that your new conference would be willing to shell out a lot of money to be able to um, somehow keep you from going broke by making the move while also they would be able to, uh, to get you. So that's that happened in what the last month or so last couple weeks was when that Texas Oklahoma report came out. Then we get the report from the post and courier that, you know, the Clemson, it might be sooner rather than later, stay very, very tuned all the big, you know, buzzy quotes. And I don't know when it will happen. I'm, I remain skeptical that this is something that's coming in the next couple of weeks, but if it does happen, my assumption would be it is because the television networks that are running the sport, have decided that they have found some creative accounting to make everything work. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's just reading some tea leaves on that. No, no insider reporting, just, just me being able to take in all the information that's available. If you have a post and courier and sports business journal subscription. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hesitant as well for, for, well, two reasons, one key reason, but when you talk about the Magnificent Seven back in the spring, really the whole idea there was, all right, let's try to get a majority in favor of breaking this thing up, and then we have some power. And that was really the thought. Well, then as we get closer to the start of the season, it's like, well, okay, maybe it's not really the Magnificent Seven. Maybe it's just down the four. Mm-hmm. Well, and then State kind of cooled their jets a little bit. Now it's down to three. So I really think – yeah, Carolina, just because of how Carolina is, they're not going to come out and be all blustery like Clemson and Florida State. It's going to take one of those schools to be the first one through the wall. Uh, and that is going to be the holdup, I think. I think everybody, those three schools worn out. And they're willing to work behind the scenes to try to get out. But who takes that first significant step that's just not bluster? Right. And I think that's really what's holding things up. And I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. I do think it'll be within the next couple of years, maybe even next offseason, we hear another round of these conversations. I just have a hard time believing that's going to happen that quickly unless they find some foolproof crack to exploit. Um, and maybe maybe they've got one, to your point. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical in that regard. Like, what if Fox really says it is worth half a billion dollars for us to get into the Southeast and, and pry these properties away from ESPN? Damn. I mean, that the, the Big Ten has zero relationship with ESPN right now. 
Like that is, I, I don't, I don't really, you know, uh, get off on the, you know, war of, of me, the media wars and things like that. But that is a dynamic that is worth keeping an eye on as well as, and my friend, uh, Joe Giglio on the Ovis Giglio podcast, he mentions often, he said, why would ESPN allow one of the best properties in the ACC to go to the SEC? You'd be killing off one of your partners and like kind of strengthening another, but not making a markedly different change to where they stand in the landscape. It The, the ACC realignment stuff that I think is the most feasible is the Big Ten deciding that it's willing to spend a lot of money to go and, and get a Southeast presence. Yep. That's a good point. All right. Before we get you out of here, Chip, um, let's circle back to the ACC. I think I kind of have your understanding on Louisville. Uh, well, not, not Louisville, sorry, not Louisville, Syracuse, that we, we're probably all in agreement that they're not going to be right there at the end in the mix. Are there – three or four teams that you think are going to be in contention for the ACC championship game? Or is, you know, would you throw all five teams outside of Syracuse into that mix? I mean, the thing Clemson is the second by, by my power rating for whatever it's worth, Clemson's the second best team in the ACC. But the problem is they got two conference losses already. And, you know, a few other spots where you're not positive that they're going to be able to avoid taking another defeat. You know, that's where, you know, and North Carolina obviously is one of those teams that you think is going to be able to go down there and, and be more competitive than you might have thought coming into the season. I think that ultimately, I think ultimately we're talking about a four, it's it's Florida State one, and then I think it's four teams. It's North Carolina, it's Duke, it's Clemson, it's Miami. And the fact that North Carolina has Clemson and Miami and Duke on its schedule means that North Carolina gets to call the shots. North Carolina will decide whether or not North Carolina is going to be in the ACC championship game because it will have those head-to-head games against the other teams that are competing for that other spot opposite the Seminoles. So um, I don't know if that means that they're favored to do it, but I certainly think that their path is at least um, is not going to rely on anyone else. And that's all you want if you want to be in the mix for the ACC championship is to have your future in your hands, and North Carolina does. All right, two follows off of that real quick. Number one, do you think Louisville can backdoor this thing with their week schedule? And two, we're going to get a lot of questions about your take on Clemson being number two in the power rankings. What's what's your basis for that? Uh, their defensive line is still terrific. Um, you know, Peter Woods has been in there flash. They got true freshmen that are coming in. Their linebackers are the best linebacking core in the country. And to go back to your point about the Duke game, like, that was, that was a game that Clemson handed away right there. The Florida State game, a game that Flor- that they handed away. And I think that Cade in that Seminoles game started to turn a corner. Um, under Garrett Riley, they seemed to have a plan on offense rather than just a, a grab bag of whatever worked with Deshaun and Trevor. And so I expect that the offense will click a little bit more as we get deeper into the season. The defense is still outstanding. And so that's why... Like I, I would not be surprised if they go up to the Carrier Dome this weekend and win that game by double digits. I understand they got some ghosts up there, but this is a this this is a Clemson team that is still really, really solid, especially up front defensively. And that just, I mean, that was how the national championships were won, right? I mean, yes, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, generational talents at quarterback, but it was those defensive lines that would just get after you and make your life miserable. And I think they are up to that standard on the defensive side of the ball. And then, I don't know, what was the first follow-up before the Clemson thing? 
is Louisville for real? Can they capitalize on that schedule? No, I don't think so. I was look, the Georgia Tech game was closer than they want to believe. The Indiana game was a poor performance by them. I I just think that that's a group that I mean could be, you know, we see it coming up very soon, but like they've got NC State, Notre Dame, Pitt, Duke. I see them losing three of those games. I, I think we're about to see the Cardinals come back to earth a little bit because Jawar Jordan has been stuffing the stat sheet. But the way that you look in the statistical rankings after Boston College versus how you were before is a makeover. All right. You can make all of your rankings so much better. All you need is to play Boston College. So I'm <laughs> I, I'm not necessarily of the belief that Louisville is in that top class from they're they're not far, but they are not in that top group. Again, like Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Duke, Miami, like those that that really feels like the uh the top of the ACC. That is Chip Patterson of the Cover 3 Podcast. I agree with you what you said earlier about North Carolina. A lot of people fret the the loss of divisions, but the way the schedule shakes out, Carolina has complete control of their own destiny by getting to play some of those top teams. And I agree with you, Louisville, you know, how they avoid those three top teams is pretty incredible scheduling there, but they shall come back to earth. Chip, I appreciate it, man. We love you on the Cover 3 Tell the fellas over there we said hello. And Greg, as always, you're the man here. It's been next level. Thanks, Chip. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.